Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we're back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, Ira Work, talking money and investing. Okay, so the age that you make your best financial decisions, typically mid-50s, and that is where we have enough accumulated wisdom, we still have enough fluid intelligence that the brain still works. This is from the Wall Street Journal. And then, you know, fluid intelligence where you're able to solve problems, able to create new things. Most of the creative acts that we have as humans tend to be in our earlier stages of life. And that starts to wane, and then, of course, what happens takes its place. It's not all bad. It actually is uh, very good when you get to the point where wisdom and you've had accumulated experiences. And unfortunately, it's not always other people's bad experiences that drive the boat. It's uh, our own bad decisions. (laughs) But then we learn from them, and we can pass this stuff on. It's called generativity, actually, You know, where we start to pass things on to the next generation. So, uh, Ira Moore, what, uh, what else caught your attention here? Um, so this financial coach, um, who it says she often works with people who are in debt, says she did most things right before her 50s. She avoided credit card debt, paying off car loans, and paying off a 30-year mortgage in 12 years. But she didn't invest as wisely as she could have. For example, she moved money in her retirement savings account out of growth funds and into fixed income funds. We would let market changes scare us into making changes we shouldn't have, says Miller, now 65. Miller says she and her husband could have made more money if they had left it in growth funds. Likewise, she invested in real rental properties, which she thought could be an easy source of income, but weren't. Which is funny because I just said that uh, growth funds, you, you know, 96% of the time are, are not going to have the, the same return, that actually lower returns. But uh, the point being that she got into fixed income bonds, and often that's what I see people, the mistake that people make. Remember in the late 70s, Ira, they, they, the article was talking about the death of equities. Oh, yeah. And younger investors were pulling their money out of stocks, and only the older investors were actually staying in there. So this right. is nothing new that we figured out, that older people tend to have a little bit more wisdom. But uh, in general, I, that, that's just me nitpicking about what she could have done, putting money more in growth stocks. Uh, and Maybe she needs to learn that lesson, too, that that's not the best to go and invest in just growth stocks, because growth companies, by, and you may be wondering, Paul, what, what's the problem with that? Growth companies, folks, are companies that have grown past tense. Those are companies that are growing rapidly, have grown. And when we look at historical returns, if we even look at, let's say, small growth companies, you'd think, wow, they're small and they're growth companies and they're great companies. Boy, that's where you should have the maximum return. If you go back 100 years and look at the data, not just recent years, but even going back even further than that, because this stuff doesn't change. You know, if you look at the, the cost of capital concept, it, it just makes sense. People have to pay to use your money, no matter you know what period in history we're talking about. Growth companies, small growth companies, would have some of the lowest returns of any area of the market, and yet we hear the term growth, and we don't recognize that what we're hearing is a marketing term. 
we're getting sucked in by marketing. Right. But anyway, so, you know, so she was saying that she kind of learned the lesson about fixed income. She got out of debt early, which is smart. Mm -hmm. But then when she started investing, she started looking at what she saw to be safe, you know, fixed income investments and didn't recognize till later on that safety is an illusion, as uh, Helen Keller would have put it. Well, the reality is most people don't even realize that fixed income investments are not safe investments. You know, it's safe. And, if, go on. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. And and I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's a CD at the bank. I don't mm -hmm. care if it's a savings account, a credit union. Um because the value of the investment itself, the bond, the note, the treasury bill, those are going to fluctuate in value based upon what's going on with current interest rates. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the reason why we saw last year, we saw the value of bond funds decrease. As interest rates went up, you didn't need to invest as much money to get the same income yeah, as a lower rate fixed yeah. income investment. Right. Tell Silicon Valley that they're safe, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result of that, people are looking at their funds with, you know, the stock market dropping, interest rates going up, causing the underlying value of those securities to drop. And now both the stock funds and the fixed income funds are both dropping. And they're thinking, well, these are supposed to be safe. No, they provide a relatively lower volatility fluctuation up and down, mm -hmm. depending upon the maturity now. That's another thing to be looking at. Depending upon the maturity, if it's long term, they could be just as volatile as stock funds. Right, right. You know, which is why we tend to recommend very short term, two, three, four years in maturity. It doesn't mean we won't have five or six, and it doesn't mean we don't have six months to a year. But we tend to have funds or recommend funds that are shorter in maturity for a little bit more stability mm -hmm. and less fluctuation. But when interest rates are going up, fixed income investments will tend to drop. So I think it's just an illusion because there is a lack of good education for investors. You know, me being in the business, if it took me 17 years before I finally discovered there was a way to invest based upon science. How much more difficult is it going to be for somebody who goes to another job, whether it's you know fixing plumbing or electricity, you know electrical systems in homes or buildings, or the educator who works with our children to teach them what they're going to need to go to either college or into the workforce, you know, police officer, the firefighter, the nurse, you know, how much more difficult is it going to be for them? Mm -hmm. to find this information. For, for sure. Now, and, and you said something earlier I just want to come back to, because as I was, as you were talking about safety mm -hmm. of fixed income investments and they're not safe, and it made me think, you know, kind of a way of looking at this, folks, is this. If we look back through history and we look at large U.S. stocks, you know, if we talk about the area of the market that historically 100 years would have had one of the lower returns, but, a, you know, much, much better in fixed income. 10% every 30-year period in all of history, the S&P 500 has a, had a rate of return of 10% plus or minus one or so. Uh, small companies would be higher, value would be higher, small value would certainly be higher, international, uh, you know, international small companies and international value companies, so on, for the data that we have going back to 1970, uh, historically higher return. Now, let's take that number, let's take the lower one because we have some really good data 
on that S&P 500 and go back to 1926. Okay, so what's the rate of return of the S&P 500 after inflation? It's about 6.5%, 7%. Yeah, exactly. So about 7%. So your rule is 72. 72 divided by your interest rate is going to tell you how long it's going to take for money to double. Now, let's take a different take on safety. Let's say at $100,000. And I put it in, and let's just say that there are no additional money to keep the keep this simple. Let's keep it simple. So we have one doubling period after 10 years. So the 100,000 becomes 200,000. We got another doubling period, another 10 years, and it becomes 400,000. And then another doubling period after, so at the end of 30 years, you have 800,000. Okay, so 100,000, 800,000 after inflation, in my example. Okay, so now what if we're talking about fixed income investments and the rate of return of T-bills after inflation is like Mm -hmm. (laughs) 0.3? So we still have 100,000. What gives me more safety in this particular case of not running out of money being 30 years down the road with $800,000 or 100. <laughs> it's just a different way of looking at it. Uh, but you know, if we look at that and you know, of course, you know, we look at historically with stocks and we see that protection against inflation. We don't see it with fixed income investments and we need you know, protection against inflation, no matter what, because the dollar has gone down and continues to go down in value because the amount of money supply keeps increasing, right? You know, so you hear people say, hey, you need to protect yourself against the dollar. You know, and these gold commercials crack me up. I was watching mm. another one last night. You need to have, you know, this is what we got to do at such and such capital. Did you know that the founding fathers said this about, you know, having that the, they didn't trust printed money? The founding fathers didn't trust printed money, is what he's saying in the commercial. Right? You, you, you heard this commercial, right? Oh, I have. You know what I'm talking uh, about? Yes, I have. So what we want to do at such and such capital, we want to sell you gold in exchange for your dollars that the founding fathers didn't trust. <laughs> just goofy. It just it makes me nuts. But, you know, one of the things that is always a concern of mine because I have a lot of, not a lot, but I have clients that come back to me and say, well, you know, based on the rule of 72, you know, the money should double. Now, yes, it should, if you had a consistent rate of return. Right. But when the market, you can have, you know, you can have be right totally on track, Mm -hmm. you know, get to year nine and your money, if it just goes one more year, in the market at that 7%, you know, that it's going to double by next year. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have a year where you're 20% down. So the rule of 72 has to be taken very carefully. Right, right. That's why I used a a 30-year period. Right, when you use the stock market returns. Yeah. Um, And I see this all the time. I have a lot, you know, clients that do come to me and say, hey, well, based upon the rule of 72, um, I should have that money by next year or in 10 years. If I'm looking to retire and I have $150,000 and I have two 10-year periods, like your example just a moment ago, yeah. that 150 becomes three, that three becomes six, you know, I should be able to retire on that because I have a pension and Social Security. Yeah, but it, it, it doesn't it, necessarily work that smoothly. 
Okay, so Iro's making a point, and it was about, you know, I was talking about the rule of 72. You know, if you take 72 divided by the rate of return of an investment, that tells you how long it takes for money to double. That works fairly well up to about 12% return. Uh, above that, it starts to fall, about, far, fall apart a bit. But, you know, if you have a 10% return, 72 divided by 10, 7.2, it takes about 7.2 years for money to double. If we take the rate of return, say 7, it's, you know, 72 divided by 7, takes 10 years, so on and so forth. So it works fairly well. Uh, now, the, the point that I was making is that that's not consistent, you know, that it, it will be that. Now, if you look at, like, for example, um, let's say 2000 through 2009 in the S&P 500, there's no doubling at all. I mean, you were basically flat uh, that whole period of time with actually a bit of a negative. And this is why we diversify, because you put all your money in the S&P 500, and you can go long periods of time with no return whatsoever. Uh, you go to, uh, let's say, jump forward a couple of years to 2004, and look at a 10-year period. Now you're at 5.6. Five, 5. Remember, it's long-term 7. So it's still below the long-term return right there. Then you go uh, fast forward a couple of years, 2009 through, you know, the next ten, over the next 10 years, it's 11. So actually, it was faster. It wasn't 7. It was 11 after inflation in that period of time. And then 2010 through 2019. Uh, there was about 12, so money doubled every six years in that period of time. And then the next, uh, 2011, that, and then 2012 through 2021, it was 14. So money doubled even faster in that period of time uh, because the rule of 72, you know, that's, that's just giving you a, a take 14, 72 divided by 14. And now we're, you know, what, uh, three, three uh, about, uh, about four, five, right? Yeah, five, about five. Uh, five years for money to double in that period of time. Okay, so you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute, the rule of 72, sometimes it didn't double at all, sometimes it doubled much faster. Mm -hmm. Now, when looking at longer periods of time, if we bring this out 30 years, you'll see that, you know, 74, 30 years hence, 7.1. Next uh, period's 8.9, a little bit higher, 8 8.1, 7.9, 8.5, 6.9, 7.5, 7.3, 7. .3, 7 .3, and these I'm looking at, at rolling 30-year periods after inflation for the S&P 500. You notice that they were all in a very, very, much, much more narrow range. So when we look at that, that's a really good point Number one, it tells us that's why we diversify more. And you don't know when those big returns are going to come in. It's unpredictable. You know, you have literally that data from 1963 through 2004 showing that 96% of returns occurred in 0.9% of trading days. Try to figure out which days and when those big jumps will occur. You don't know. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. 
Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.